really enjoyed singing hymns with you guys over the over the months. Some of the words are so great for us to meditate through and be reminded of some of these great truths. Our sermon today maybe not the most creative title, but it is a little bit of a title, so you know what we're going to be talking about is A Church's Desire for a Pastor. A Church's Desire for a Pastor. I've been thinking about this a little bit myself and thinking about what does it mean to be a member of a church, a part of a church, and and what do, what do Christians think about? What do Christians pray about? And what, what role is the church in our lives? Capital C, church. What is it, what is it to us and, and for us? You know, the church has a, at least a couple of different types in the Old Testament. There's some figures in the Old Testament that if we, we study and and ponder on, we can we can see some things in the Old Testament that help us understand the church and its its works, what it what it does. And one of them is what we see through life in the tabernacle. How does the how does the tabernacle work, and what what what's going on in the tabernacle? You know, Moses was given a design to build it. It's a thing to be made under God's direction. And that's one of the real simple sorts of types you can see when you think about the church. The church is a is a building made of human souls. Regenerate men and women are a place being built into a dwelling place of the Lord. So Moses is given this design of the actual building. He's also told what, it, what its officers are what the priests are and what the various laboring Levites would do, etc. There are many, many different sorts of duties and activities surrounding the tabernacle life in the wilderness. And it was all laid out by the Lord. God laid these things out where men weren't to speculate or to, to design their own functions and works in the, in the tabernacle. People of the Tribes, they brought their offerings to, to Moses and the, and the craftsmen. Gold. Some people brought gold and silver and timber, and woven materials. Some probably only had their labor to offer, the physical labor in their, their hands. And then under guidance, as you recall, there were some specially gifted, some specially... Uh, Skilled artisans and craftsmen in the building of the tabernacle. Those uh, were able to provide instruction and, and guidance and teaching others how to labor and how to build. So we can we can really see some real simple sorts of types in that picture, can't we? We can see how people were showed how to labor. And they brought their, their wealth and, and, and gave and contributed and they built a place for the Lord to dwell among them. 
place for men and women to worship, a place where service to the Lord would be carried out daily in the wilderness tabernacle. As, as our congregation here approaches a question of, of not having a pastor, as in this pastor has said, I can't stay here indefinitely. I'm going to be leaving. What is the church supposed to think about that? As, as they're chewing on this and then they're in due course, maybe having some of their own thoughts and maybe some of their own plans and, and some of their hopings. What, what are we thinking of? What am I thinking of? What, what am I planning? What am I hoping? And this is a really important little set of questions here for us to be thinking about, especially if we can frame these questions in God's Word. How would God's Word instruct a congregation to be thinking about something like this? What would the Lord say? What has He said? I really want to prayerfully look at the Word this morning and and see how the Lord would teach us to hope, how the Lord would teach us to pray, and uh, and even take action. What what sorts of things might the Lord have us do? So this actually really fits in very well with what we've been studying for weeks. We've been studying Abraham's justification. Abraham believed the Lord, and this was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham is so crucial for people who live in the age that we live in because we see that the person of God and Abraham's clear knowledge of his words made his faith take a certain shape. It dictated how he lived. Abraham's life is a life that that you and I could now recognize as a life springing from a regenerate man. In other words, his his life was new when he when he knows who God is and when he hears God's words and when he understands God's will, he's about God's work and God's ways. His life isn't what he would have been without the Lord causing this new life in him. Abraham is quickened, is one of the old words. Quickened, regenerated, renewed, and lives a life of saving faith. So knowing the Lord is is one of the fundamental things that changes Abraham's life. Knowing the Lord, fearing the Lord, fearing to disappoint the Lord, desiring to walk with integrity before the Lord. This is this is the substance of Abraham's faith. And so I want to ask the question, have you as a Christian in 2022, you and I have been friends now for come this June at six years, we've known each other for a while. Have you been growing in church faith? What, what you do in the congregation, what you do in the presence of God and His Word forms your life in the congregation. 
In the same way that believing men and women under the tribes of Israel had their lives become what they were because of God's presence with them and His revealed word to them. What is that becoming in your own life? How is your relationship to the church been changing? What are you becoming because of your knowledge of the Word of God and your fear of the Lord and your walking before Him? How, how has this impacted your life? If you were to compare yourself to Abraham in the sense that you know his faith changes life. Moses' life and, and the believing servants around Moses, their lives are changed by their knowledge of God and their knowledge of His Word. How's that been happening in, in you? Your, your, your part, what it is you're doing in, in your day-to-day life, in your interaction, in your church, is how you will answer these questions. And if you are doing what the Scripture teaches, if, if you are understanding God's Word and its implications for your life as a believer, if you're practicing those things, then you are doing something like what Abraham did. But if you're oblivious to it, if you're kind of doing your thing, then you're not living a life of faith like Abraham had done. So what is this supposed to look like in the context of a of a church? I thought of a I thought of an illustration as I, I've been chewing on this, and it was actually very I, I'd completely forgotten about this until just a couple of days ago. Leanne and I were in in missionary training in in Missouri and. First, we were, we were in Oregon for a year, and then we were in Missouri for a year. And when we were in these different places, we're supposed to make ourselves part of a local fellowship. Uh, all the young missionaries, if we had our way, we probably would have been happy just to stay at our place where we lived and a fellowship with each other. But the mission wanted us to be out in the community and these churches and getting to know people. So Leanne and I were at this little church, and I I remember very, very little about it, honestly, this little church in Missouri. But they needed a pastor. And Leanne and I were guests and and visitors there. And there was this little bitty congregation in in Ozark land in, in Missouri. And they hadn't had a pastor there for a while, and there was a visiting pastor there the this Sunday that I remembered. And it's quite possible I only went to this church one Sunday. This is maybe the only memory I have of this church so long ago. But we were there when this man came to preach and teach on that Sunday, and this church was going to consider asking him to be their pastor. And I was kind of intrigued by this. I hadn't had too much exposure to anything like that up to that point in time. And they were tired of waiting. They had been waiting for a while, and they hadn't had a pastor in a while. And you could tell they were pining for for someone to to take this job and, and, and to do this for them. They were kind of chomping at the bit, is something my my mom used to say. But they had no clear convictions or understanding of what the scripture said about what a pastor was and, and, and who they were supposed to be. They didn't at least it wasn't apparent to me that they had any understanding of of what a pastor should be like. Um, they wanted one. They really, really wanted one. And 
at the end of that Sunday, they they asked this man to be their pastor. And I remember, this is clear, I remember being really perplexed because the way the man held himself and the way the man taught and, 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 and used the word of God, I felt like, my word, this is not a person who is grave or serious about the Lord or has a clear understanding of what the word of God says or means. I just remember feeling really surprised that that what was so obvious to me didn't bother anybody as they were looking for a pastor. I remember feeling so perplexed by that. These these Christians interacted with me just a little bit and, and none of them asked any important questions about what was important to this man as a pastor or what his goals would be as a as a shepherd. None of these kinds of questions were on anybody's mind, and it, it really quite surprised me. They were not prepared for this situation. They were completely unprepared. And all they wanted was someone to stand up front on Sundays. That's all they wanted. They, they, they were just like, wow, what are we going to do if, if we don't have someone to do it? You and I, on the other hand, we really have the privilege of pondering on this question. And, and making some good preparations to to be ready for the situation, unlike this little church in, in Ozark land. So let's let's consider um, some principles that undergird our wants. One of the first things we want to start thinking about here are principles that undergird our wants. Everybody wants to have a pastor at their church, of course. So what what are the underlying principles that must be on our minds? Well, one of the first ones is is that who is the head and who is the body? The Lord Jesus is the head of the church. And and the body are are connected to the Lord Jesus. So we're going to look at Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1 at a couple of uh, cross-references here. I wanted to look at this with you just so you can... I got an idea, you know what I'm talking about, but let's read these verses and, and let me just remind you so you know what I'm thinking about. Colossians 1.18. So as we're thinking about church, church life, my church life, your church life, this is a really important foundational principle here. Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church. In a way, there's a mixed metaphor there. The body is the church, and the church has a head. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The head is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have a preeminence. Some great words there framing what is meant by head here. Preeminence probably being the simplest word here. If, if, if you can get it in your head that calling him the head has to do with his preeminence or it has to do with his supremacy, it has to do with his priority, then, then you're thinking the right thing about head there. Okay, let's look at the reference in Ephesians 
Ephesians 1.22. Speaking about persons within the Trinity and, and, and how the, the triune God is blessing men through the Savior, we, we see this here about the Savior. And He, or it says, and hath put all things under His feet, that is, under Christ's feet, and gave Him, gave Christ. God gave Christ to be the head over all things to the church. Christ gave him to be head over all things to the church. So the church has this head. The picture of the head over a body has a many simple implications, and, and we can really appreciate the Lord's kindness to us and, and making this simple for us to understand, you know, the, the, the head's relationship to, to hands and eyes and feet. The illustration is very, very simple for us to, to understand. All, all, all parts of the body are subject to the mind and the will of the head, right? But whatever the head wills the hand to do is, is what the hand does. The, the head commands. The head organizes. The head even gives life to. The, the work of the hands and the feet and, and the body are guided and they're unified and they're organized and they're effective according to the purposes of the mind. The head is the place where, where everything is flowing from, of course. And it is an indication of his supremacy. It is an indication of, of his primacy. The head dictates everything that is taking place, even those passive functions in a body. You know, when we think deeply about it, you're, you don't even know your head is in charge of some things going on in your body that go on without fail all the time. Breathing and, and your heartbeat, for example, things like that. You, Fortunately, you and I don't have to remember to do. They, they just get managed and handled by the mind somehow. The head is the owner also. This is a really, really important truth. The Lord Jesus is the one who has redeemed the church we see in Revelation 5, 9. So the head is, is the organizer and the, and the chief and the, and the will, the unifier, the administrator. He's the owner also. Look at Revelation 5, 9. They sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll. And to open its seals. They're singing about the risen Savior. And he's worthy. He's worthy to open its seals. For you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The redeemed have been purchased to God by the blood of Christ. It makes him the owner it makes him the owner by, uh, I love how the New Testament reminds us that it's not with costly things like gold or silver or gems. Your, your being the property of the Savior was something that cost more than, than the only thing you know is worth. I mean, you and I only know money and gold, and so that's, that's what's worth something to you and me. The Lord God has purchased us by the blood of the sons. 
So he is the owner because he has purchased the redeemed. He owns and he commands. I I, want to remind you here something that you remember in the last words of our Lord to, to the church. In the last words of the Lord to to his disciples in Matthew 28, you and I refer to the Great Commission, is, is a command, right? Can you remember how the Lord commanded you uh, vicariously through the disciples and the apostles? How has the Lord commanded his followers at Matthew 28? Go, let's look at it, Matthew 28. Go, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. The tense of the verb implies they are already going. So in in a way, I think you could say, as you are going. In verse 18, Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. He says that as your head. He says that as your redeemer. So whether you're a hand or a foot, you're... You're, 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 you're a little piece of the body, but you're a part of the body who has a head and who owns and who commands. And he says, all authority has been given to me. Why did he say that? Well, so that you, you're not wondering who's in charge. You can't say something like, well, who says so? He says, all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded. And, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Lord left very non-cryptic and cryptic instructions, didn't he? Men, men shouldn't wonder. If you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus, you shouldn't wonder, what are we here for? What's the point of of following Christ? We shouldn't wonder that because it's too easy to understand this passage here or or maybe the one in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, he said to the disciples. And so when, when the Spirit came at Pentecost, what was the point? What, what were the disciples left to do but to be making disciples Matthew 16:18 is another reference where the, the the head who is the owner who is the commander who is the unifier who is the one with the will whom whom disciples give their will to you give your will to this head to this king of the body Matthew 16:18 Lord Jesus is speaking to Peter, and Peter has now said out loud that he knows the Lord is the Savior. What does the Lord say to a person? He says, you are the Savior. You are the Messiah. Lord Jesus says, I say unto you also, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. The point of disciple making is church building. 
Here he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Lord Jesus is building a church. The head is building a church. It's the thousands of local congregations around the world and across the ages. He is building a church. The head is the head of one church. He is is building his church with his body, with his hands, with his mouth. And we could say with his mouths. Our multiple mouths speaking his words. He's building his church as we are connected to the head. The head directs the hands and eyes and feet for his purpose. Your your, your foot never says to you, why in the world are you going to the bathroom right now? It, It doesn't even wonder about it. Isn't that a beautiful illustration? To be properly connected to your head and know your head. You, you, you are just where the head commands and, and tells you to go. The next thing I want to remind you of and to show you, to teach you again, is has to do with Christ's administration. So he commands, he said, go and make disciples. He said, I will build my church commanding his disciples what they would be doing. I want you to think for a moment with me about his administration. And we're going to see this in Ephesians 4. Who are we in the church? What do we do in the church? What is our purpose in the church? We need to know the head. You need to know the head. You need to be properly subject to the head who is supreme in his authority and who has purchased you. You belong to him. He has arranged, he has made an administration. So if we look at this passage that we've looked at many times over the years, we start from verse 10. It's a great book on life in the church in the book of Ephesians. Verse 10 says, He who descended, that is, the God, the the, the triune God who took on flesh and dwelt among us, descended from heaven and came to earth. It was He who descended. He is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. We're marveling at the supremacy of the greatness of the Messiah here and he himself gave it says in verse 11 the great God who descended is the one who ascended back to heaven and he gave we're we're pondering on the reality of his administration how has he arranged the functions and the duties in the congregation. And we could go all the way back again into Moses and the tabernacle, but we're looking at the church. We're looking at the age that took place after the ascension of Christ. He gave, okay, he gave some to be apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for equipping the saints for work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. The main day in, day out work of a Christian fits in this administration. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And you'll notice that the chief thing being referred to, the, the, the thing of first order is a Christian's learning. You notice that all five of these things are teaching things. Every single one of these five things, apostles teach with the authority of Christ. Prophets reveal the will of God and teach. Do evangelists teach? Of course. They teach the gospel. They teach men and women that there are sinners who, who, who need a Savior and they must repent put their trust in Christ. Do pastors teach? Pastor-teachers, is I, I know I've said this, but it's one and two offices. It's a, a pastor is a pastor-teacher. He shepherds the sheep. He teaches the sheep. These are teaching functions. These are teaching duties. What did Christ give to the congregation? Teachers. What is a disciple's obligation to the head as they are a member in their church? They learn from their teachers. Why? Why do they learn? Well, they, they need to understand the will of God. They need to know what they're supposed to do with their lives. What do we do with our minds? What do we do with our mouths? What do we what do we do to become perfect? Christians, which is the object of all this teaching, to become perfect. More, the more merciful word is mature. I'm so glad the word means mature and not perfect because I, I could never imagine being perfect, but I can imagine maturing, learning more and more of the Lord's will. This teaching and this learning leads to you as a disciple in God's church to greater and greater steps of Christian maturity. It's, it's how you relate to the congregation. It's what you do in the congregation as you become a mature Christian by learning from these things that Christ has given to the church. Paul said in Romans 12, a very similar kind of thing to what we read in Ephesians 4 here. Don't be conformed to this world anymore. You, you become a Christian if you've come to Christ, if you've repented of your sin, and you've become a disciple of the Lord Jesus. If you're born again, don't be conformed to this world. Stop being conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can know God's will, so that you can test God's will. 
The point of testing it is so that you can walk in it. So that you can be conformed to God's will. This is building. This is a process of building. As you have participated in being instructed from the word of God, your conformity to God's teaching or your disconformity to it is your being built into it or your being a rebellion or in rebellion to God's building purposes. A pastor builds. A pastor is helping a Christian understand what it is that he walks away from in the world and what he grabs a hold of as a person who knows the Savior and is being transformed by the renewing of his mind. He's becoming something mature. He's becoming a mature Christian. This is a building process. Christ's mind and his words and his ways are taught. And your mind and your heart are confronted with these things in the church because Christ gave these teachers to the church. So it's important that we recognize here that the pastors and teachers being spoken of here in the end of that list there, those are some incredibly crucial elements to this whole thing that the Lord is doing in, in building a church. The pastors and teachers are like bricklayers. They're, they're, they're taking the wrong edges and the wrong shapes off of building materials and, and helping things being properly fit together by being faithful teachers of, of God's word. So I want you to realize that the need of a godly builder is a crucial thing going on here. If you're going to learn to be a godly builder in this process of church building, if you are going to be participating in godly congregation life, you have to be taught by someone who is accomplishing Christ's will in, in what he has given to the church. He gave pastors to the church. He gave teachers to the church so that you can hear truth, so that you can be leaving the world, becoming more like Christ, becoming mature Christians. This person who is influencing the congregation is a very, very important person for us to know. How do we know who he is? Where do you find him? When a church is looking for a pastor, who are they looking for? What what does he look like? How how would you know? When I when I saw that man that particular Sunday in Missouri, there were some things I could see and hear about him that made me think that's not who they're looking for. But that's that's who they wanted. That was who they were looking for. They made a mistake because they didn't really know who to look for. So let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. I want to clarify this building concept to you. We're looking for a builder. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.10, 
according to the grace of God which was given to me, Paul is especially ordained. He is especially truly spiritually gifted for this work as an apostle. So this is a thing that was given to him. And then he says, referring to himself as a wise master builder. Paul is a wise master builder. He says, I have laid the foundation. And then he says, another builds on it. There's there's another builder involved here. And then he goes on to say, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation of Jesus Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now, there's a a spectrum of materials being referred to here. And the point is for his illustration in verse 13, he, he says the work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed with fire. Now, if somebody builds something with straw and we test it with fire, what happens to straw? It turns to ashes. If you build with gold, what happens to gold? It, it, it melts, but it stays gold is the point. It's, it's still perfectly gold when, when it's tested by fire. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So Paul is using this illustration of building, speaking about his work, among disciples, his, his, his work as a Christian teacher knows he himself is a builder and others will build on it and the work will be tested with fire. Building is a very, very sacred and serious responsibility that we would never want to do in our own way. And this is one of the things I'm, we're going to kind of ponder on here the kinds of builders who who undertake to do this work in the church. You see, secret churches, for example, work for growth using music and entertaining speakers and ambiance and, 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 and words that make people feel good. Seeker is a is a methodology of church building, right? It's how you get numbers into a church is using a seeker philosophy. Seekers woo people into Christian fellowship. There's a a philosophy that I was exposed to in the 80s, and sometimes we have referred to it as friendship evangelism. You, You invite people to church and you make them feel comfortable at church. You say nice things so they don't get offended or or become uh, alienated to Christianity by something that's been taught in the pulpit. You woo them in to 
feel comfortable around Christians and then you kind of hope that somehow secretly they become a Christian someday without you confronting them with their sin and telling the gospel to them. We we thought about this way of luring the person in the Christian fellowship feeling like, well, they'll they'll become comfortable around Christians and they'll like us and they'll they'll realize we're actually good people and then they like to be around us and they'll become a Christian. This is wooing people in, but not according to the gospel. This is a building method. This is a way of building a church. But it is not a method of building that the apostles ever instructed anyone to build by. The servants of the Lord Jesus, they teach God's word about his teachings. They teach doctrine. They teach about sin. They teach about repentance. They teach about faith. They teach believing that the Lord will return and inspect the quality of one's work. We know that the Lord holds each man accountable to the things he teaches. Namely, your shepherd, your pastor is held accountable for the things I teach. So when you're thinking about a pastor, how do we recognize him? What's he look like? What kind of pastor do we want? We have to have these things in mind. We have to understand his duties and his obligations to us as Christians. We have to understand this. As a pastor worked and taught by faith in his word and in the principles laid out in God's word, or has he behaved and carried out his work in one of the world's many philosophies? What is it that he's bringing? You as a Christian wondering about how do I know a a true pastor from a false pastor? You have to be thinking in these terms. How does he build? Who does he listen to? What does he teach? What is he building on? Is he building something that will endure the test of fire? Or is he building something like right now, the person who would be a pastor for us in the future is build, he's building something right now, I guarantee you. You don't know who he is and you don't know where he is. But right now he's building something. And last year he was building something. What? Well, uh, my point is, is you don't know. And you, you're going to want to know. What has he been doing? What has he been building? What does he teach? What has he been making? Christians need a certain kind of food to grow as Christians. When when somebody teaches you the word of God, this is like eating. It's spiritual food when you're being taught the word of God. A Christian needs a certain kind of food for growth and for sight and for hearing. And if the pastor is busy luring people in with humor, if he loves to tell jokes... If he loves to entertain with the music, if he shies away from doctrine and biblical teachings, then he's going to have a church full of humor and entertaining music and doctrineless Christians. We have to have all these things very clear in our minds and our understanding. We have to realize that 
that is not a diet where believers are strengthened in in the principles of the church. They're not strengthened. They're not grown in God's word. They're not prepared to stand strong under persecution because they've been building a building made of entertainment. They've been building a building that has no structural doctrine in it. No teaching of the church in it. How is a Christian prepared to serve selflessly or to die to the things in this world? How is a Christian prepared and trained for that? They need to be trained and prepared to do that from somebody who will teach it to them, somebody who believes it, somebody who's living it themselves. Are you going to be looking for a, a pastor like that? Christians need shepherds to whom they belong to. Who owns you? Christ owns you. What does he expect of you? Your life. You you need a shepherd to point you to Christ. You need a shepherd to point you to your owner to point you to the owner's promises. Because when persecution comes, or when you get to the end of your life, if you don't know the Christ, if you don't know his promises, if you cannot rest in his promises, then you have not been prepared for the day. You must be able to stand under the fires of trial. You must be able to stand under the hardships that this world brings to us. Men and women in churches are tempted every day. They're lured away from the truth. They're tempted to their own heart's desires and they're tempted by their own ignorances. You are tempted by your own heart's desires. You are tempted by your own ignorances. We're going to look at one passage and we're going to close this morning. We're going to look at one more passage. The enemy knows your fleshly loves and your desires. Okay, he knows those things. A good shepherd, your pastor, is also going to know those things. And we're going to warn you against falling prey to your fleshly desires and to your ignorances. Your pastor is going to warn you. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll finish part 1. Listen to his knowledge. So Timothy is a pastor and Paul is helping him know how to be a pastor. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 to 5. This is instruction to a pastor from the apostle. And he says, I charge you therefore before God, young pastor Timothy. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his, at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Pastors, preach the word. You must find, we must find, and only desire a person who will preach the word. Okay? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. He has to convince. He has to rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And teaching. 
Why? Well, the time will come, Paul says, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Those people you are teaching, Timothy, they will not hear teaching. They will stop hearing it. They will not endure it. You must persevere in it, Timothy. They won't endure it. But according to their own desires, there it is. That's what I was telling you about a second ago. Their own desires, a Christian's own desires. What happens to them? According to their own desires, they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. The desires in the hearts of men and women will drive them, will drive them to teachers who say what they want to hear. To say what their desires want to hear. To say what their feelings want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. And be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful. In all things endure afflictions, Timothy. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Their shepherd must be a man who is careful to resist his own temptation. He must be correctable when he stumbles because he will be judged by God with strict judgment. And he's to preach. He's to preach the word. Godly building is preaching the word of God. The stones and and the sheep must hear the word of God so that they are properly formed into a dwelling place of God in Christ. This is what the shepherd is doing. This is what the Christians who are wanting a shepherd must find. We have quite a bit more ground to cover here this morning, but I'm going to I'm going to stop. I want to just uh, encourage you that the Lord would have us build. He would have your pastor build with gold and silver, with long suffering. And he is to endure. He is to labor at this and, and not grow tired. Next week we'll spend a few minutes thinking about why in the world would he grow tired? Why would Paul warn him not to grow tired and, and to do this with long suffering? There's some interesting things for us to consider there. And we'll look at that next week. Let's take a minute and close in prayer this morning.